Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Amen. Okay. So this is a, just a picture of my family. My husband, David, uh, is the short one in the back. <laughs> We've been at TBC about 30 years, and all our kids were raised here. Uh, Sarah's back here working with the youth, and then John, uh, he lives in Austin. He's the one in the middle, and Mark lives in New Mexico. And so, am I echoing? You're okay. Okay. Um, it's, just, it's just fun watching my kids love one another. This was a hike we took when they were here for Christmas, so we just enjoy that together. Um, so, as we consider this passage, um, let me switch the slide again. I feel like I'm echoing. Okay. As we consider this passage, let us remember that John, he's writing to people he knows very well. He's been a leader in their church for about 20 to 25 years, this church in Ephesus. He moved there right before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And he's been, now he's writing this letter in the early, 19, or the early 90s A.D. So he's, he's nearing the end of his life. To me, it seems like a capstone letter. This is what I really want you to know. And he's pulling all these threads together, just like maybe you had a capstone let, in college, a capstone course. He's wanting to assure them that they have genuine faith. He wants them to ask the question, how can we know we're in Christ? And this question is probably on their minds because they've had these people leave, the people that he calls the Antichrist. And he wants his readers, including us, to have joyful fellowship with God and with each other. And he wants that fellowship to be based on the truth that has been passed down from generation to generation from the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And John desires for them, and he desires for us, to have full confidence that we have eternal life before God. So, one of my table mates (laughs) said, you can know me if you see these these handouts. I'm so sorry. I am not a uh, talker. I'm more of a, like, writer, a lot of stuff. I'm probably a commentary person instead of a speaker, okay? But um, I just thought I'd share, this is just brief, this horizontal handout, if you'll turn to that. I gave it to you mainly because then you can write on the back if there's anything you hear that you want to remember. Also, it keeps your eyes down and you're not looking at me. (laughs) So I like that, okay? So, um, but this is just a way of looking at the concepts in the letter. This has all of the words um, that we've been circling. I was just trying to get a handle on this passage because it's right in the middle of the letter and it just is like, well, everybody else is going to be talking on love and commandments and abide and antichrist, so what am I going to have to talk about? So, and and you can see my passage is right in the middle and it has all the words. (laughs) So, it's, this letter is, and that's really all you need from that. Um, This letter is written in, not in that Hellenistic form that that Paul uses. It's written in a spiraling way because he's basically, although he says I'm writing over and over again, he's basically talking to these people that he knows really well. And this is going to be read out loud, remember. Most of them didn't have a copy of the scriptures themselves. And in fact, they weren't canonized yet. 
So uh, take that into account. Uh, so as we dive in, first we're going to look, I'm just going to review the letter quickly because I think it makes more sense when we look at chapter 4. John began the letter by sharing, and I put these themes down at the bottom, kind of based on what the other ladies have talked about. I just kind of took each passage and said, okay, here's the synopsis of that section. So John started the letter by sharing his tangible experience with Jesus on earth. And he stated that God is light, so one cannot walk in darkness and claim fellowship with God. And he said that one who expresses his love for God does it by abiding and being obedient to God's commands. And like a good pastor, he assures his flock that they have overcome the world because um, they have overcome the world and have eternal life because they know God. But also, like a good pastor, he warns them that there's danger. The first danger is in their own hearts. They must not love the world. He wants to be clear about that. And the second danger, then, is outside them. The Antichrist, the ones who've gone out from them. And these Antichrists have rejected the truth of the gospel by denying that Jesus was the one who had come in the flesh as the Messiah, And he warns them that the Antichrist will continue trying to deceive them. And this is a warning for our church today. And then, but once again, John wants to assure them that even in the face of these Antichrists, they will remain in God because God has anointed them with the promised Holy Spirit. So in the earlier chapters, in accordance with his desire for them to have a confidence in God, he gives three tests for genuine faith. The first is a moral or righteousness test. You could ask yourself the question, do you obey God's commands? The second would be a doctrinal or a truth test. I'm just throwing this out. But you don't, it's not written down anywhere. A doctrinal or a truth test. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The third is a love test. Do you love God and his children? So do you... Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you follow God's commands? Do you love God and his children? These are ways we can tell if we have genuine faith and eternal life. So as John often does, before we get into chapter 4, we have to look back a couple of verses because he's always tying it together over and over again. And he starts in 1 John 3, 23 through 24. If you want to look at that, you can find that in your your text or whatever. He says, and this is his commandment. This is in John, 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit by whom he has given us. So believe, in that first verse, is believe is a word that has to do with truth. And our passage is going to talk a lot about truth. Believe here has the grammatical sense that it's remaining. As you see in that word abide that Amy talked about, abide is staying with, remaining with, dwelling. And so this implies that this belief continues throughout our entire lives, and it's not just a one-time sinner's prayer. Um, verse 23 also parallels 
Jesus' teachings when he taught in uh, what he called the two greatest commandments. And these words from Jesus are covered in all the synoptic gospels, so we're pretty accurate that this is what, God's, what Jesus said. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Um, and that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we have evidence, we are we evidence that we believe God when we trust in Jesus, who came in the flesh as the Savior and Lord, and when we love others and God when we obey his commands, because the first command is to love the Lord, and the second is to love others. So in this introduction, he's taken those three tests of genuine faith, and he's woven them together. He's saying that, just like you see in this passage, that truth and the commandments or obedience and then love, they're all interwoven together as a test of genuine faith. You can't really have one without the other. Let me go on. Okay, so now we're going to look at chapter 4, actually, what we came to. And you can look at the other handout, the vertical one. And, and I do need to correct something on it first. <laughs> oh, perfectionist, this is so hard when you have to do this in front of everybody. I checked this 30 times. But anyway, under where it says two exhortations, I only put the first part. And I really meant to put the second part. The two exhortations, the first one is do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits if they are of God. The important point is that we test the spirits. And then the second one is let us love one another. So if you'll just write in test the spirits if they are of God, that would make, the hand, make me feel more comfortable that the handout was correct. <laughs> okay. Okay. So thank you all for laughing. I appreciate that. Okay. okay, so we're going to look at uh, 4, 1 through 6. And I timed it. I don't have time to read the passage, and I'm trusting that you all have read it, and you all have it in front of you so you can test what I'm saying against the passage. Okay, but we're told in, in 4, 1 through 6 that we are to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. And I think first... John wants us to know that there's only two spirits operating in the world. John happens to be famous for his dualism. Okay, my little nerdiness. If you'll turn your page over at the bottom, I listed the dualisms, okay? Um, because Amy talked, I mean, Sharon talked about light and darkness, and Amy talked about truth and lies. So you can just see over and over again how he's saying these are two realms that are not... Um, they're not compatible. There is darkness and there's light, and they don't go together. There's truth and there's lies, and they don't go together. So he wants us to see that. But So when you look at the front of the page, then, I've got where it says truth. How do we discern which spirit to follow? There's two spirits, the spirit of truth and probably the other error I found was it probably should have a low S on the spirit of error because it's not a big spirit. It's the little one. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, okay. Got that into all of my confessions. Okay. Um, so, but let's look at the characteristics of these spirits. They have different origins. One's from God and one is from, not from God. It's from the world. They have, they belong to different powers. One's from the power of God and one is the power of the Antichrist. They disagree about the truth proposition that Jesus came in the flesh they reside in different locations. The Spirit of God resides in his people. 
Um, and the spirit of the world resides in the world and was probably the spirit that was talking to Eve in the garden that deceived her. They speak with different viewpoints. One looks at things the way God looks at things and the other looks at things the way the world looks at things. And so because of this, they have different listeners. The people of God listen to the word of God and his spirit, um, that he, the spirit illuminates the word of God. And the people of the world love to have their ears tickled with the music of the, of the Antichrist, of the spirit of the world. So I've always had an interest in truth. In fact, my training and experience as a CPA working in public accounting was all about determining if a company was telling the truth in their financial statements. And I won't bore you with all the details. But when I ran across a passage in my late 20s uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, I was totally blown away. I was undone by this passage. It changed the direction of my life, actually. Um, because I learned there was a way to comprehend and to understand the truth of God's thoughts. And I wanted that. So if any of you have a Bible or you have an app, you can look up 1 Corinthians 2. 10 through 12, and then I'm going to also talk about verse 14. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. And it does sort of start in the middle of a sentence. But anyway, here's what it says. Listen to what it says about the Spirit. And um, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, except even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So we can understand, if you're a believer in Christ, you can understand the thoughts of God because you have the spirit of God in you. But the person who's not born of God will not accept the things of the Spirit of God. In verse 14, it even says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul's words here in, in 1 Corinthians, and Paul spent time in Ephesus too, so it, it makes sense. All these things are coming together they align so closely with what John is saying, and that's even more proof that the Bible is true. What it says is true. It, all, it goes together. So when we read this, you know, I don't know about you, but I came to this text saying, well, am I of God? Do I have the Spirit of God? Or I want the Spirit of God so I can understand what, how God thinks and what, the way he wants me to live and all the, thing, all the things. I have eternal life. But so John... Going back to the thing, he t gives us the characteristics of those who are from God and those who are not from God. And he urgently wants his hearers to, be, to know that they are from God. So he makes two assurances, and I've written those. That's probably the most important thing on the page, is the assurances that God makes. I mean, that, that John is saying to his people. He's saying, he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Isn't that incredible? Because that means 
we can overcome the world because God lives within us through his spirit and through Jesus. And he also says, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He wants his people to trust this. So I'd like to point out some things, other things, this is a little nerdy things that I discovered um, about the pronouns in this passage. So this is a picture of me. I, last year, during the school year, I wasn't in this class because I was taking some seminary classes at Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, I was in the evening class because of that. Um, and it, I mean, it was an incredible experience. I got to go in person. David was kind. And I had a friend that was in my first small group here that let me live with her during the week uh, a couple of nights so that I could go to classes. And God has since led me out of going to seminary. But the one thing I enjoyed from there and that I've taken home is an intense focus on observation. You always start with the text and say, what does this text say? Not to what all the th other things I know about God, but what does this text say? And Amy has us do that every week. What we see about God, now we know about us. And so I spent a lot of time on the pronouns in this passage because I, like, who is he talking to? And who had, who had these assurances? And so just a couple I wanted to point out to you. There's, it says, he who is in you, well, I've always thought that was just the Holy Spirit. I think partly because of my work with 1 Corinthians 2, I just thought it was the Holy Spirit. But that he who is in you, that is he in a masculine form. Or it's not the word he, it's a Greek. But whatever Greek word it is that is a pronoun, <laughs> it is a masculine word. So that, they never use masculine to talk about the Holy Spirit. They use masculine would be referring to Jesus. So this is another testimony that not only do we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we have Jesus in us. And really, if you think about it, we have God in us too, um, because they're indivisible. But anyway, I just thought that was, I, I liked that, that I was able to tell that even in here, this is tracking with other things where John has talked about he's in us and I'm in God. And I don't know if you remember, um, Oh, now I'm in a blank on her name because I didn't write it down. But uh, 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 no, uh, the lady, oh, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't go off script. K.K. <laughs> Spolt. K.K. Spolt, when we studied John, she had a little chart and she put like us and Jesus and Jesus and God. And I mean, we are so secure because of our relationship with God. Okay, so there's another one here, beloved. I'm aware that the word beloved is not a pronoun. Um, but I have it there because it, it, in that sentence, there's an implied you, because there's not a you in the sentence, but it's implied that there is. And so I wanted to know, is it talking to one person or multiple people? You see there, you can have an individual pronoun. You can have a y'all pronoun. Texans would be great at translating the Bible because we would get all that straight, you know? Um, <laughs> But we know it's plural because the verb in that sentence, the verb that says believe, is the second person plural verb. So it's not saying just to believe on your own. It's saying to believe as a community. And I just thought that was really neat. And y'all might like to have that little trivia. <laughs> and then the last is the we. Um, so the we or us, in the first five verses of the whole book, He's talking we, and he's just John and this group that doesn't include the, the readers. 
So it's the apostles, most likely. They're the ones that saw and touched and heard and all those tangible words that we studied. Um, and it doesn't include the group. But by the time we get to chapter 4, John is talking to them as if he's part of their group. It's called an associative form of the, the word we or us. And so what it's saying here and why I think it's so important is that this was written to the whole church. It was written to brothers and sisters. It was written um, for them to do this in community. They were to believe as a community. And this means that the testing of the spirits is not just outsourced to the pastors or the elders. They have offices in the church to fulfill and, and guard the pulpit and they you know, choose the, help choose the pastors and all of that. But every one of us, all of us ladies in this room, we have the ability to discern truth through the spirit that's within us and in us together. And so I just want to encourage any of you who have a desire to know, to study more. Um, seminary was a great experience. You don't have to do it in person. You don't have to do it at DTS. There's lots of great seminaries. But if you have a desire to go deeper and you maybe have felt God pulling you that, nobody could give me that encouragement 30 years ago when I really wanted to do that, when I ran across that passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, you know, you, you, there was no online, there was no, none of that, and women weren't encouraged really to study. So um, I'm glad I got that experience. I've got some other ways to study now. But if you do, especially if you want to learn Hebrew and Greek, they, they, it just opens up the scriptures. I did not, I'm too old to do that. I have not enough years left for to spend that much time doing that. But, um, but anyway, hopefully some of you will. <laughs> Okay, let me shut that one down. It's enough of me. <laughs> okay, so I'd love to talk to you about it, or Amy would too if you want to. Uh, let's go on to the second path. The second part is the uh, section where he's going to talk about love. And so before we go there on the exhortations, let's look at the statement. So there's a statement in there, God is love, and I am so grateful for Sharon for expounding on love in her talk because that, I can kind of skip that, okay? <laughs> but a seminary friend of mine gave me a concise definition that I like. She was going through some um, uh, premarital counseling, and I just love this one. It says, love is the steadfast, sacrificial zeal that seeks the true good of another. I'll say that again. Love is the steadfast, so it's never-ending, sacrificial zeal or passion that seeks the true good of another. Not just the good they think is good, but the true good of another. So in this passage, Paul further expands on what love is by stating that love is the essence of God. God is love. He can't be separated from love. Everything he does is from love, and it's compatible with love. And so with that in mind, I thought of a quote that J.I. Packer uh, had put in his book, Knowing God, and some of us read that together last summer. It's a classic book. I highly recommend that you read it. I've, so, so many pastors that I admire, including Jen Wilkin, go back to that book and say that was a really influential in their lives. So anyway, here's, here's J.I. Packer's quote. To who, who is the God that we say God is love? 
The God of whom John is speaking is the God who made the world, who judged it by the flood, who called Abraham and made him a nation, who chastened his Old Testament people by conquest and captivity and exile, and who sent his son to save the world, who cast off unbelieving Israel and shortly before John wrote these letters had destroyed Jerusalem and who would one day judge the world in righteousness. It is this God, says John, who is love. Well, we might, in our own human understanding, deem some of these actions not as love. I mean, flood, captivity, exile, Jerusalem destroyed. But God is love, and he cannot not love. So he's jealous for us, and he will do whatever it takes to keep us in fellowship with him and his people. So now we can go to the back of the handout. I'm sorry it's so long. Some of you nerds might like it, but anyway. Some of you can just use it for fire, start fire. (laughs) Okay, we'll go to the back side. So, uh, oh, I did that too fast, but it's already up. Okay. So twice in this, we're going to go to the exhortation. That's why it's on the back. How do we know if we love God and love one another? So um, this reminded me of the passage, and it was actually in our homework too, of Jesus in the upper room washing the disciples' feet. This is in the courtyard at at, uh, DTS. I spent a lot of Day, hours reading, what, looking at this uh, place, because there's a place to sit near there. And that was just one of my favorite places on campus. And so Judas, who had gone on his way, so I, so I tried to look at where that passage was. So love one another is something Jesus himself said, and John's just repeating it. So I'm like, well, let's look at the context of where he said it. Well, it was in the upper room. He had just washed their feet. Judas had just dipped into that they'd had a meal together, and Judas had dipped in, and then Judas had left to go betray Jesus. So they're in the upper room, and when he makes the statement in John 13, 34 and 35, which we looked up in our homework, this is what has just happened. So that passage in John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. um, Very quickly, John is giving us the basis for this exhortation. So you remember, so this has happened, he's just washed their feet, and then in a couple of hours, he's going to go to the, a few hours, he's going to the cross. So that's the context of when this was given by Jesus. So uh, John is looking back to that, and he's giving us the basis of why we can love. So on the sheet, it says, you know, love is of God. Love's origin. Where did it come from? And the example that was just given is atoning sacrifice. And that little passage talking about the atoning propitiation or atoning sacrifice, however your your scripture, um, your translation um, uh, translates it, that's so close to John 3.16 that that's one of the reasons that people, scholars would say that this, this book of 1 John was written by John the Apostle because he doesn't name himself in the letter. Um, 
And then he also says the reason you can love is because you have this ex example, but also because God has demonstrated his love by giving you his spirit. So we have this power to, to be able to do this. There's so many benefits to from loving each other. I had a great conversation with Jenny about this. Um, when we love one another, we have an assurance that God lives in us because we, we know humanly we probably wouldn't do it if it weren't for the love of God in us. And when we love, he completes his work in us. And I love that. I love completion, guys. I like. I. I'm a, like. I'm a perfectionist. I want everything a certain way, and you never can get there, right? In this world, I mean, I don't know if any of you just have ever tried to finish anything and be happy with it. But I'm glad if you are one of those people who can do that. But I just love the fact that God. When I hear the word completion, I'm like, He's still working. Like, I'm in process. And I can look back at experiences where I was not kind to someone who was hard to love. We had that question about the person's hard to love. And then I can look at how, well, I reacted less and less and less. And then I had compassion. And then I tried to bless them. And then, you know, and it's still in process. It's not perfect. That relationship's not perfect yet. But I'm growing in that. And so this is an example of that, that as I love, God's love is being completed in me. And I am being changed. And then verse 12 in this passage implies that when we love, others see God. Because God's a spirit, right? He's, he's invisible to the world. But we make it vis visible when we interact with one another, and that's observed by the world. And then the last thing he gives us an assurance of, that's at the bottom here, the assurance is, um, we won't fear the final judgment. Now, we may fear, you know, am I going to have a car accident or am I going to break down on the road like Joyce um, said for us, but we won't fear the final judgment. We will know that we have eternal life with Christ. You can be assured that you have eternal life with Christ. It's one of the great truths of the Christian faith. So an example of love was Night to Shine. Amy mentioned it earlier. Several of you in this room were there. I mean, I just know you. I know your faces because I served with you. Um, a lot of people didn't get to serve because they closed down the list. My daughter didn't get to serve, and she was kind of disappointed. But anyway, they had too many people. Um, but everyone who worked that night had the sense that God was working in them, and God was working through them together to love on these kings and queens and their parents. That's where I served, in the area where we were feeding the parents. And um, it, it was so impactful. I mean, they would come up and say, I can't, I can't believe a church is doing this. I, I can't believe, you know, we knew you were going to do stuff for our kids. We didn't know you were going to feed us such a nice meal and all these desserts and all this stuff that happened. And it was just, it was just such a joy. And I even feel like the people I worked with, particularly, I don't know if Heidi's in the room today. She might be at work. She'll be there tonight. But I served alongside her, putting out desserts and stuff. And it, I just feel more of affection for her than I ever have. So all these things that he's saying, all these assurances he's giving, they're true. I experienced it at night to shine. And I also experience it when I drive for the impact kids. Those kids that are in my car, they're like, they're my people, you know? 
But I also feel a connection with the host homes that I go to, with uh, Monica organizes the drivers, with the people that serve, make meals in the kitchen. You just, you have a camaraderie with them and there's a love and that love overflows in a way that's more than you could have done on your own. So anyway, I can go on and on. But what I wanted to say is that we can express our love to God when we believe the truth, it's founded in the truth, that Jesus is God's son, that he's the way, the truth, and the light. And then we obey those commandments, and those commandments are the way we love one another. They're not to hold us back from anything. They're to open up true life, the life of the Spirit. And so these themes of truth and love and obedience, they become this braided rope that's stronger than a single thread. And when we are tied together in our lives, we can have assurance that we have genuine faith, that we are in God, and we can answer that question, am I in God? Yes, I am in God, and I have eternal life. So I thought it might be appropriate to show you the logo. I didn't, this is the only picture I had, and I don't even know who the speaker was. I, I, I think I know, but I'm not going to say. So, but the logo of DTS is teach truth, love well. And to teach truth, you must know it. And it's best if you believe it, right? So I want us to know truth and to love well. And yes.